0: This is a Need 10 Media production. All right, welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Clayberg and in this episode, you get to meet Lauren Johnson. I got the opportunity to meet her uh, early April at the brand-new live event in Denver, Colorado, and Uh, Learn how she went from an aspiring soccer career, having an aspiring soccer career, to finding a world in mental performance coaching. She even did this work with the New York Yankees. And again, in this show, we introduce you to jobs and people that work in those jobs. And how did they get there? What are those jobs uh, as people move into those roles? And uh, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. But as we begin, I want to go back to when you were growing up and getting ready to finish high school. Other than that promising soccer stardom, What did you think you'd be doing after graduation? What did you think your path was?
1: Oh, man, that's such a good question. Man, let's go way back. First of all, (laughs) thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to meet you at the event in Denver. Um, Man, when I was in high school, I actually thought I was going to be a physical therapist. I knew I wanted to work in sports for the rest of my life. I loved sports. And at the time, I knew I did not want to, while I wanted to play professionally, Um, I knew I, I probably wasn't going to be the next, like Mia Hamm. I was pretty aware of that, but I didn't, I also didn't want to coach. So I thought, all right, after my playing career, however far that can, that can take me, I think I want to go into physical therapy.
0: Was there an injury along the way that you had that can, that kind of stood out as a pathway? I always ask that question when someone says that, because there seems to be a connection sometimes.
1: Not in high school, not in high school. It was actually college where I received, um, you know, a a career ending injury, actually. And while I was, you know, full blown into my, you know, into my, my degree in kinesiology, you know, for the, for the goal of going on to physical therapy school, um, it took a hard left turn. (laughs) So it was, uh, it was actually senior year of college and I'm third game into my senior year. And this girl takes the ball down the field, gets back, gets past all of our defense and then takes, takes a shot. And it was a really solid hit. And I headed it out of the way. I fell to the ground and immediately I knew it happened. And I had received my fifth concussion. I just come back from my fourth and they took me off the field. And at that point, I knew I had one and, um, I got a brain scan and then later on the, the neurologist comes in and he tells me, he said, Lauren, it's not safe for you to play soccer anymore. For any, anyone who's had something taken away from them that they love, they can probably understand and relate to the way I felt in that moment. Like I didn't know who I was outside of soccer. And
0: well, and, and that for you probably had after the fourth concussion, there probably was a similar conversation. And then. Was there still denial, but you still push forward? I guess, talk through that.
1: Yeah, so I, I remember actually my first response to the neurologist was, uh, ah, I'll get a second opinion. Like, first of all, how offensive to say that right, right to his face. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not stopping. And then he said something to me that put everything into perspective. And he said, Lauren, do you want to remember your name when you're 40? And I was like, whoa, yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the plan. And he said, then I don't recommend you continue. He said, I can't guarantee your next concussion won't be permanent. And it became very clear what my decision needed to be. And I had to make the hard decision of hanging it hanging it up. And while I still was a part of the team, my role significantly changed. And so I remember for a while, I felt really bad for myself. I felt really sorry for myself until one day, I realized that's not going to help anybody. And if I'm going to be on this team, I might as well make use of my time. And my time was not very well used sitting on the bench, feeling sorry for myself. My time was well used, giving it to my teammates in the best way that I could, whether that's getting them water, whether that's setting up cones, whether that's, you know, having somebody to listen when they're frustrated, or even maybe giving advice because I have this outside perspective that's different than being on the field.
0: I imagine that was pretty, pretty therapeutic, coming back saying you had a different purpose in the world of soccer or what you were doing that you probably didn't maybe, I I, I do wonder as a player, did you notice the other people that were doing that stuff and the impact that kind of work has and just just seeing the world differently?
1: You know, it was interesting, it's funny you say that because there was one day when I noticed this difference and we were actually in a playoff and we were getting our asses handed to us, to be honest with you. And again, I'm not playing, I'm on the bench and the girls come off and they're just defeated. They're like giving up at halftime. And I remember I got so upset, but in a way that was hopefully helpful, it seemed to have been. And I said, I would do anything to be able to be pissed off and in your shoes right now, anything. But instead I'm sitting here on the bench watching you guys upset. Rightfully so I would be upset too, but then giving up and you have a half a game left. I was like, that's BS. I was like, get your asses up, pick up your heads and go make, if they're going to win, you better make it so damn hard that they walk off that this field going, we had to claw to win this game. And it was this weird change in perspective where I've been in the position I've been in their shoes before where I would have just maybe sat in the complaints, but I had this outside perspective of like, how dare you complain? You can play. I can't like you get out there. And it was a great also moment because sometimes that's what coaches are so good for is they act as those mirrors. Like they can see these outside perspectives that we can't when we're in it. And so I think that's why I felt so comfortable giving it is because I also understood what it felt like to be there and to be stuck in that kind of perspective. And so that really was a time when I noticed the difference and the shift. It really all kind of came to fruition based on like understanding what I wanted to do. And it wasn't physical therapy. When I decided to take an elective course in sports psychology, by the way, I didn't even know this existed. I was like, what is this? Sounds interesting. I was, to be honest, I wanted I wanted something else to work towards. So I'm like, let's take another course. So I take it, fell completely in love with it. And I realized a lot, a lot of athletes do this naturally. A lot of sports psychology and mental performance principles, athletes do very, very naturally. The difference was now I attached a science that backed it. And so when I attached intentionality to some of these skills, I had already kind of used to cope in sport. That's when I was like, whoa, this is insane. And I thought to myself, who would I have been if I would have known these things? Like what kind of athlete would I have been? What kind of teammate would I have been? What kind of friend? What kind of student? And then I thought to myself, shoot, how many people can I help now that I do? And so I dove into this work, falling completely in love with it. And also using it as a tool with my team when I could, and it felt appropriate. And I will never forget. It was the senior banquet, my, of, of college. So all the, all the athletes or all the seniors have to come up and like, say something. And then I'm up there. I didn't prepare anything. I mean, not that you would, but I'm up there. And I remember saying this was the most impactful year of soccer I've ever been a part of. And I didn't step on the field.
0: Well, when you say that, it's uh, you could very well get somebody in that audience or wherever saying, well, wait a minute. Why, why would that be? Because it's it'd be pretty superficial to think uh, you probably had some seasons where uh, stat-wise you, you felt pretty successful and, and externally people said that same thing. Did you have to explain that deeper? And, and it probably had to make people's minds shift too or change a channel of going, okay, there's more out there than us just trying to get that ball and a goal. Uh, you discovered a whole new thing.
1: I did go a little bit deeper. And I said, it was the most successful year. And I didn't have one goal. I don't have one stat. I didn't play one minute. And I said, the reason is because my purpose became so much bigger than me. It was no longer about me. And as an athlete, it's so easy. And I'm still, I'm getting choked up thinking about it because it seriously hits me to my core. It was like a core memory for me that like shifted everything. And it was this lesson I really needed to learn. And I was like, I, before then I was, I was working out, I was doing double days on my own. I was like, I cared so much about, about training and I cared so much about, you know, being like a leading goal scorer and I wanted to win and all that stuff is great. But what I missed along the way was this purpose that was bigger than myself And this forced me to see that. And I realized how fulfilled I became from pouring into others. And that while I became, sure, I became fulfilled by wins. I actually became fulfilled by those things, but they were all temporary.
0: Yeah, you know, think back to your, I guess, high school. I guess when was the first time you competitively put your foot on a soccer ball? Do you remember what age you were? (laughs) Five. You come yeah, up like, through and, and what what advice do you give to the in and, and, and club sports and youth sports is so prevalent right now. And I've got a whole nother worry as it relates to our future workforce. But you know, what do you I don't know if you ever get a chance to talk to those kids or even the parents, uh, the impact that that narrow thinking maybe is what what that would be and and the whole world outside of that and and the impact that you discovered uh, a different a different piece outside the pitch, I guess, that maybe made you more complete. Do you, have you relayed that or is that what you do?
1: Yeah, I think that, I think the biggest thing I I recognize, and I think I find in a lot of young athletes and so sometimes not young, sometimes also complete adult professional athletes is I attached my worth to my outcomes. So anytime I scored and I was a leading scorer one year, you know, I had all these great stats and I mean, I was on top of the world, but if I didn't have that, I was worthless. And so I rode this roller coaster of highs and lows, like you wouldn't believe. And yes, I was a hard worker, but it was because I was working really hard to maintain my worth because I thought that's what made me worthy was being good at soccer having the best stats, being the fastest on the field, being a captain. Like I thought all those things qualified me as a human being. And so when I started to learn that I am so much more than this, it actually improved the way I played. <laughs> and so the way that I look at this a lot of times is that shoot, having goals and all that, that is so important, having good results, so important. So I'm not taking that away. Right. But when we look at high performance, especially from the mental perspective, One of the worst things that you can do, and one of the ways we limit ourselves is by focusing so intensely on those results that we end up abandoning our process just to get them. And the problem with that is then we end up with this very short-term level thinking. And I always think of it like this, that results don't make you better. Executing the right things will, because you can get good results from bad performance. You can also get bad results even though you had a great performance. And so again, results alone won't make you better, executing the right things will. So I like to really shift our focus, focus to executing the right things. And that's gonna look different for every single person based on your goals and what matters. And so I would break it down, not just into goals for your team, goals for yourself personally, and goals for yourself like socially. Meaning for me, one of the things I was missing, and while I don't think anybody would say I was a bad teammate, I think I became a better teammate when I had this alternative perspective because I was so focused on executing the highest version of performance for myself. And yes, you could say, of course, so I could show up the best for my team, but I didn't focus so much on my team as I think I should have. And so when I look at, when I look at worth now, I look at it totally differently and I don't attach it to my outcomes. I, I really focus on those things that are within my control.
0: Well, you talked about uh, you know when when you couldn't play anymore, you lost your identity. Was that when you look at? Was it hard because now it it was uh, it wasn't necessarily a detriment that you were worried about yourself, but how others were going to see you. Did that does that play into to this whole thing when you look at the the kids or people on the playing field and that world's done or or what you're striving to do? Is it sometimes hard to look at? what's best for you as the person and not just what you feel like you're trying to do for others.
1: I think when it comes to identity, one of the things I struggled with most is I attached my identity to my outcomes. And so if I had good outcomes, I was good. If I had bad outcomes, I was shit. Like it was kind of like, there was like no in between. And so I think that, and yes, there was definitely like, there's the pressures of what other people are going to think and while I did, wasn't too worried about what they thought with my injury, cause that was totally out of my control. There's nothing I could do about that. It was more so I felt very lost. I didn't know who I was anymore. And so I had to, what I realized is that soccer doesn't make me who I am. It's who I am that made me so good at soccer. And it wasn't necessarily a skill thing, but it was who I was as a person that those things that I brought to the table. And I didn't lose that as a result of losing soccer. Soccer was not who I was. It was what I did. And so I could take who I am and I can transfer it to doing something different. And so when I realized like, what were the things that made me a good soccer player? And I, and I kind of wrote some of those things down and I realized these are things that I can transfer and translate To different domains that don't just solely exist in soccer. Like, Oh, my, my work ethic. Yeah. That can totally translate. Oh, my ability to have a great attention to detail that translates like learning at a high degree and a high level that translate. And there was a bunch of different things and qualities that I saw that I had that I realized that doesn't just go away because soccer went away. So, and that was a hard place to get to, to be totally honest with you, because I was just, I was so lost. I didn't know who I was or, and I had so much time. I didn't know what to do with it.
0: So then you're moving on from physical therapy. You found sports psychology, you graduate. And, you know, I I guess at what point you were like, okay, are there jobs for this? You know, is it, is it very, you know, you hadn't really heard of it uh, as a student athlete, but all of a sudden, you found this world, and you've been in it. Uh, you've been in it since then. You know, you've worked with some high-level athletes, and you do this. Uh, you, you've turned this into a, the, your own personal brand business as well. But talk about that journey of discovering. Oh, I'm going to be a mental conditioning coach, and you probably share that with people. What are you doing now? Oh, I'm a mental conditioning coach, and they probably look at you like you got three heads. of, I have no idea what you're talking about, but but <laughs> talk about building that adventure along the way.
1: So I, so like I said, I, I took that elective course in sports psychology and it actually led me to a master's degree in performance psychology. So I finish up and with my master's degree, and I'm very aware at this point that there's not a whole lot of jobs. And when I say there's not a whole lot of jobs, there's not a whole lot of jobs I wanted. Okay. I wanted to work at the professional sport level. And I knew that baseball was like, was really starting to hire and take on mental performance coaches and but at the time I graduated, like no chance would you be taken right out of grad school. So I I I graduate and I have two job offers now, not from pro pro athletics, but one from a military perspective, and then one from a, a very like high end academy. So I'm like, cool, I got these two job offers on the line. Like I, I'm like on cloud nine. I'm like, Hey, I have somewhere to go, and I take one and I turn down the other. And about the one thing about the one I took was that it was going to take about six months to be placed, which was very common for this job. So I was like, that's fine. I get like another like summer before the real world, will do it. So I take the six months and I don't hear anything. And so I reach out and I just said like, Hey, just checking to see when I should be expecting my placement. And that's when I received the email back that said, we're sorry the job is no longer available. You can imagine, I felt very similarly to how I felt you know, when my soccer was taken away. It's like, you had these expectations for what you thought life was gonna look like and suddenly it's gone. And not only is that job gone, but the other job had already hired six months past. They've already filled that role. So here I am again with nothing. And I reached out to everybody that I knew in baseball and otherwise, and I kept hearing the same thing. Lauren, you just need experience, which is the worst thing to hear nope. coming right out of grad school. Right. And so I decided, well, student loans are starting to come up. I need to make money somehow. So I got a job at Starbucks one day working in the Starbucks drive-thru changed my entire life. So I'm working the drive-thru. And when you're, when you're in the drive-thru, it's your job to entertain the customer while the drink is being made. And so I'm chatting it up with this customer. And he asked me, are you in school? I, I proudly told him like, no, I actually just graduated. And he said, great. What did you get your degree in? And I told him performance psychology. And he just starts laughing at me, like full on belly laughing, like laughing in my face. And I'm like pretty confused. I'm like, I don't understand what's so funny. So I'm so confused that I straight up asked him. I was like, I'm sorry. What's so funny? And He goes, oh, you got one of those degrees you'll never use. And I was in shock. Like, I couldn't believe this guy just said this to me. I walked away. I couldn't even hand him his drink because somebody else had to hand him his drink. I was pissed, and you know when you when somebody says something to you and then it ruminates, like it keeps repeating in your mind, and you like re-experience all those negative emotions every single time, all over again. So that was like the rest of my day. It just kept replaying and replaying, and I was getting more upset and more upset until one moment I was like, Lauren, who cares what this guy thinks? Because I was upset because I was upset. I was like, this guy doesn't matter. Like, why are you giving him so much power over you? And that's when I had this like. Aha uh-huh moment that I wasn't mad because he would, he was rude I was mad because he was right how was I going to be the best mental performance coach I could be if I turned around at my first sign of adversity and so that day I googled how to start your own consulting company I started my own consulting company so that if opportunity wasn't going to come to me I was going to go find it and I built this resume And I that I pieced together by going and finding opportunities. I cold called, I sent emails. I got a lot of no's. I got a lot of ignores and every once in a while I'd get a yes and I'd capitalize. And after a year's time of doing that, the Yankees took notice. I applied for the job and I got it.
0: You made your own experience. You needed it. You made your own.
1: I made my own. I spent four wonderful years with the New York Yankees and um, alongside, um, you know, my director and my associate director and then I just early last year I decided, you know, I wanted to grow in a different way, and so I decided, you know what, it's time to start my own company. And so I've been doing that for the last uh, year and a half.
0: We'll talk through uh, the work you do now and how people uh, can connect with you. And I guess uh, you know who who is it that you'd want to talk to? You know, who's who's the person that you think this is this is the the type of person I want to work with? And if somebody's listening to this, they think that's me or I know somebody like that.
1: Well, mental performance, man, is for everybody. It's for everybody. I should say that, you know, my, my clients have evolved over a long period of time from, you know, from high school, college athletes to professional athletes. And now I work with a lot of CEO C-suite executives, um, fortune 500 companies, and as well as a couple of professional athletes, you know, right now we are experiencing so much pressure in the workforce because we have like inflation is up. We've got diminished resources, um, you know, resources are being misallocated different places because we're not being able to quantify and qualify, you know, the opportunities that are coming to us. And so sometimes we are behind in profit, like, you know, one or two quarters. And so a lot of things that I do is I come in and I help companies, you know, develop a culture of mental performance and because like a sports team, um, mindset is not everything, but it does impact everything. And so if we can create a culture in a team that can leverage the power of their mind, we can create a system that supports the skills that they already have and the things that they do at a very, very high level. And so um, I like I said, I work with Fortune 500 companies, CEOs, C-suite executives, and just high-performing individuals like entrepreneurs as well, just constantly seeking those that just want to improve.
0: Well, Lauren, it, this is a question I ask uh, everybody at the end of this, and uh, and I wouldn't say it always t- doesn't seem to go how I maybe think it's going to go. It ends up going. There's a trend, uh, and if I'm a if I'm a, a job magician, if you will, and I say, Lauren, I'm going to give you your dream job. What is that?
1: Mm, I have it, and I, I'm I don't know. I don't want that to sound you know cocky or you know condescending in any way. I I love what I do so much. People who I want to work, I've worked with some of the most incredible people. I'm always looking to work for and work with people that want to improve themselves, but there's three, there's three criteria. I don't take anybody that wants to work with me. Number one, you can't be a victim. I don't want to work with people that sit and feel sorry for themselves for too long. That is a definite characteristic of a high performer. Number two, you understand that you're never too good to improve that high performers know that even when they're at their best, their best can always get better. And number three, they value the people they surround themselves with because they understand that the people that are around them impact who they become. And so they're very particular about being around other high performers and people that wanna improve themselves as well. And so I try to look for some really important trends before I qualify working with anybody because it's really important that a lot of people, they think they want to work on it, but there's these really big qualifiers that, uh, that tell me whether or not they're ready for it. Because my friend said this, there are two things people underestimate the most about mental performance, how hard it's going to be and how long it's going to take. And so I would say that really right now I have the most amazing job in the world and I love what I do, but man, am I always looking to work for just incredible people that want, uh, and have the desire to improve hell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it, it takes some work to make that body below your shoulders. Right. Uh, but it, it should probably be the same amount of work it takes to, to, to do the muscles above your, above your shoulders. So, uh, Lauren, thank you very much. I'm going to put uh, ways to connect with you on your website and and also your social media, but, uh, uh it's great to uh, connect with you again. And I, I appreciate you being a part of this.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This is so much fun.
0: Thank you again for listening, everybody, and being on this journey. And we invite you to please subscribe and share this podcast. It's called That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast is presented by Career Adventure Academy and the College and Career Discovery Course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now, go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at NateClayburg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.